I am excited to be here because it's been a while since I've been back here to share a message with you guys. And as I was prepping for this, there's a lot of exciting things that I'm happy, um, excited to share with you guys today as well. And today is, I guess, my opportunity and privilege to serve you guys for the next few moments and my form of worship as well. So um, I'm excited. So why don't you guys turn around, uh, grab someone you know by their shoulder, shake them a little bit and go, get excited. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Great. So for those of you who don't know, I've been uh, married for just under two years now. And for those of you in our midst who are also husbands, I'm sure many of you agree with me that your wife is your absolute number one supporter, but also your most honest critic. So that's the same for my wife, Christy, as well. Um, and back in the beginning of 2016, I emceed in a vibe service for the very, very first time. And I thought I did a pretty good job. <laughs> and I asked the leaders around me for feedback after service and they all said I did a pretty good job and I started to feel pretty chuffed, feeling pretty prideful, feeling pretty happy. Um, and so I walked up to Christy to ask her how she felt about my emceeing because you know, an extra dose of compliment could never hurt. And Christy just asks me, why were you not yourself on stage? And that hit me really hard because whilst I believe that as Christians, we should be living this authentic life, I wasn't doing that that evening. That service, I was unconsciously trying to act like one of those YouTube you know, um, preachers who are super charismatic and super well-spoken because I thought if I speak like them, maybe I will be seen as a good speaker and a good MC as well. And I wasn't living out my biblical conviction of authenticity. So I may have pleased some of the people around me that service, but I know I did not please God. So, and I wanna suggest that perhaps that's not just a me issue today. Perhaps many of us here in different areas of our lives actually struggle with a similar thing where we try to end up, we try so hard to end up fitting in or just to please the people around me at the expense, around you, sorry, at the expense of wanting to live your life purely for God and God alone where we end up trying to, where we value the validation of others so much more than we value God's validation that it ends up changing the way we live our lives, where we don't live the way we actually know and the way we want to live. And in the passage today, we actually see even the great apostle Peter, the founding father, he made a similar mistake in this passage as well. And Paul sees this side of Peter who wasn't acting like his usual self. He wasn't acting like the way the great apostle Peter should be. He wasn't living out his biblical convictions, so Paul had to confront him. And he shows us through his response how not just Peter, but how you and I can live lives truly for God and God alone. So let me read the passage for you guys today. It's Galatians chapter two, if you wanna flick through it with me. If not, it will be on the screen as well. Galatians chapter two, verse 11 to 21. I'm reading from the ESV for this one. So verse 11, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though, like, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? 
We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father God, in the same way that Paul was able to so courageously confront Peter in his hypocrisy, God, I pray that the word of God right now will speak and bring life and confront us as well in areas where we are not living the way you want us to live. And may the scripture not bring condemnation, but may it bring conviction. Help us repent and come forward and for the next chapter of our lives, live live lives that are for you and for you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So picture the scene with me, okay? So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile city. So Gentile meaning they're non-Jews. And they are doing ministry together. They're having a great time uh, ministering to the Gentiles, eating with them, fellowshipping with them. um, And you're seeing great fruit for the kingdom. All these people are hearing about Jesus and coming to be saved. And then Peter comes for a visit. And before we get to verse 12, we've got to say that that's not a bad thing at all, right? This is the Apostle Peter we're talking about. Apostle Peter comes for a visit. This is the same Peter who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, preached one message and 3,000 people were saved. And it's the same Peter who, ever since that point, God has been using really powerfully to do works of the gospel and, and showing amazing signs and wonders. So they must have welcomed Peter with open arms to be like, amazing that you are here joining forces with us to do ministry together. So at first they would have been enjoying time together, eating with the Gentiles, enjoying fellowship, praying for one another, ministering together. And now for the Gentiles in Antioch, right, what would have been surprising for them was not the fact that later on Peter stopped eating with them, but the fact that Peter started eating with them in the first place. Why do I say that? Because until Jesus came, the Jews were God's chosen race, right? They were given a specific set of laws in the Old Testament about things you can and cannot eat and things that you can and cannot do. And as long as you abide by those things, you are considered clean before God. But the Gentiles didn't abide by these laws. So the Jews saw them as unclean people. So let alone not even thinking about eating with them, they wouldn't even go near them. But when Jesus came, he made some changes to the laws. He made, he, he made it clear from this point forward, nothing that goes inside your body, so nothing that you eat is, can defile a person. And then to make that doubly clear, a couple years later in Acts 11, um, the Holy Spirit shows Peter a vision to show him that all food has been declared clean. And to make that clear as evidence, he actually leads Peter to um, a place where he sees for himself the first Gentile conversion that's evidenced by the filling of the Holy Spirit, Cornelius and his family. So Peter had learnt in that moment that God doesn't show favoritism, but he is for people from every nation who choose to fear him. So now it's acceptable to eat with them, which is actually a symbol of approval. 
So when Peter was eating with the Gentiles, this wasn't just an act of kindness to be friendly with them. It was a radical statement to say the gospel is now for all people. All people can now enter the family of God. But then as we read on, something happens and it radically, drastically changes Peter's behavior. Suddenly, you see he gently just excuses himself from the Gentile table and then he doesn't come back. And the next day, you see Peter again, but this time he's far away on a different table, just eating with just the Jews, and he's keeping his distance from the Gentiles. What happened? In verse 12, it shows that this happened when the men of James came, and there were men of James who were from the circumcision party. As you guys may remember from the previous Sundays, these were a group of Jewish men who were the Jesus plus community. They believed that you needed Jesus, but they also believed that you had to do other things such as to comply by the Jewish laws in order to be saved. And in this particular letter, one of the things that they regularly emphasized was the need to be circumcised. So when they came, they knew, Peter knew that these people are not wanting to accept the Gentiles as part of the body because they are still uncircumcised people. And Peter was afraid of how these people will think of him if they saw them eating together. And because of this fear, Peter avoided the Gentiles. So it was this fear of people that actually drove Peter to act hypocritically. It's hypocritical because Peter actually knew better. He wasn't doing this in ignorance. He knew, as I just said from Acts 11, that he knew that the Gentiles were accepted into the family of God, yet his fear of people crept in and slowly distorted his convictions and that changed his behavior. And hypocrisy comes when you value the opinion of someone else more than you value the opinion of God. Hypocrisy comes when you're more worried about the immediate repercussions of others judging you, shaming you, guilt-tripping you, um, rejecting you, disliking you. And when you value those things more and you're afraid of that, you end up losing courage to just live your life the way God wants you to live. It's the fear of people that leads to hypocrisy. But the dangerous thing about hypocrisy is that it doesn't just affect your own life. It affects the people around you as well because your actions speak louder than your words, right? So when Peter started to act hypocritically, something else happened. The other people, the other Jews that were with him started to act hypocritically along with him to the point where the scripture says even Barnabas was led astray. That's a big deal because you can almost feel Paul's hurts in, the, in those words as he says that Barnabas was led astray. This is Barnabas we're talking about. In the scripture, he's called the son of encouragement. He was one of the first people to really believe in Paul's ministry. And in Antioch, right now as we speak, he was, he was Paul's co-partner to spread the gospel and to see all these Gentiles coming to be saved. He, amazing work was happening and even he was being led astray. So let's pause for a moment now. Let's just pause for a moment and think, if someone as amazing as the Apostle Peter can be led astray and lead others astray, it should sober us to think that we, can, we are just as vulnerable to this as well. We are just as vulnerable to living a life out of fear of people. And maybe for some of us here, our fear of others have led us to act hypocritically as well. Just like me when I was emceeing in 2016, could you imagine if that was left uncorrected? 
what kind of ongoing implications that could have had for younger leaders who were modeling after myself and others around us as well, making them think that to be a good speaker, to be a good MC meant that you had to put on some kind of facade. Or to give an example that may relate to some of us here, I'm sure some of you here find it challenging to share your faith. Maybe whether that could be in your workplaces, maybe in uni, maybe in high schools. Um, maybe you're very, very good at living a great life where you're a hard worker, you're friendly to people, you serve people through your actions, but you're not so good with sharing your faith with your words, which is an important part of sharing the gospel. And maybe you're worried about how other people will respond. Uh, maybe you just don't want to be seen as that crazy Christian guy. Uh, maybe you're worried that it will lead to more controversial topics that you don't quite feel equipped to answer just yet. But you notice that whatever that maybe is, it's driven by a fear of others rather than just this sole desire, this pure desire to just want to live life for God. In those moments, if those thoughts are creeping in and stopping you from sharing your faith, it's because a part of you is afraid of how others would think of you. And because this negative influence, this fear of people leading to hypocrisy, leading to influencing others into hypocrisy as well, was such a serious issue it wasn't something that Paul could just settle with Peter quietly in the corner in private. It had already become this public scandal that called into question the freedom in Christ that the Gentiles had and should have been experiencing. The Gentiles thought they were already saved. They thought they were Christians. But now the Jews are excluding them as if they're not. It was bringing confusing to the, confusion to the midst. So Paul had to clarify and, and challenge that. And what was important here to Paul was making sure that every single person was absolutely clear on how someone gets saved before God, how someone is made right before God. And this gospel truth was so important that even if he had to risk his friendship and partnership with Peter, he was willing to oppose him in love. So how is someone made right before God? It has nothing to do with ethnic background, nothing to do with compliance to the Jewish laws, nothing to do with how good of a person you are, but it had everything to do with this concept called justification by faith. So what is justification by faith? Paul explains it himself in verse 14 to 16. So let me read it out, but this time in the NLT. Since you, Peter, you're a Jew by birth, you've discarded the Jewish laws and you're living like a Gentile, so why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. The, law, the word made right here, that's bolded right there. Um, in your Bibles, if you're looking at it, it, might be translated with the word justified. So justified is this legal term that essentially just means you have been considered righteous or you've been judged not guilty or in simpler terms, just made right. So before God, we once had a barrier because of sin and we, our relationship was separated from God. But because we've been justified, that wall of sin has been broken off and torn down and we now have access. We have now seen by God as righteous, we can have a relationship with him again. That's what it means to be justified. So when we say that we are justified by faith, it means that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved by living a good life because that would be justification by works. Instead, we are saved because we've placed our faith in Jesus who has paid 
the penalty of our sins on the cross on our behalf, a penalty that we believe we could never have paid off by ourselves because we are not saved by good works. We're choosing to place our faith on Jesus, on his finished work on the cross, and saying that is sufficient for us to be back in relationship with God. That's justification by faith. So when Paul here says that no one is justified by works of the law, he's reminding Peter, Peter, even we from the chosen race of the Jews, even we know that it's impossible for anyone to be made right with God just by complying and obeying the law. It's impossible for anyone to fully comply with the law. That's why we all need Jesus. So why are you now avoiding the Gentiles just because they're not complying with some of the laws when you're doing the exact same thing? That's why we both need Jesus. So if the Gentiles have placed their faith in Jesus, then let's treat them like family. Let's not exclude them any longer. What Paul did here was brilliant. He actually adopted Jesus' teaching from Matthew 7, where he's telling Peter, Peter, before you point out the speck in someone else's eye, why didn't you first take out the log in yours? And Peter was corrected. Now, some of you might be thinking, Arthur, I already know about this whole thing about justification by faith. I learned this years ago when I first became a Christian. But if the great apostle Peter needed to be reminded of this, perhaps all of us here do as well. Because the thing about justification by faith is that it's not just important for the journey of you becoming from a non-Christian being converted to become a Christian. It's not just this one-time significant event, but it continues each and every day as we live our lives as Christian to transform our lives, to align it with the truth of the gospel. Two of the people in my life who I'm very thankful for are actually my parents-in-laws. I hear it's common to love your parents and find your in-laws a bit challenging, um, and I'm just thankful that God has blessed me with amazing parents and amazing in-laws as well. Um, and there was one time when uh, Christy and I made a mistake and we had to apologize to uh, our parents-in-law, and instead of responding with words of hurt or words of bitterness, that would have made me feel even more condemned than I already did at the time, my father-in-law actually said this to us, if God has forgiven you, then you are forgiven. If God has forgiven you, then you are forgiven. You see, someone who only understands justification by faith only as a single transaction, only as a means of getting converted and to cross the line into Christianity will only see this importance of the truth as a one-time event, as if it's something you just move on from after you become a Christian. But my father-in-law understood that being justified by faith extends past your salvation and it changes your entire way of living, including the way you treat others. And in this case, it led to him extending Christ's forgiveness to me. On the flip side, if someone is unable to forgive, if someone is only willing to forgive if the other person has earned something, earned it, made up for it, or maybe even worse, thinks that someone is never worthy of forgiveness, that person may agree with the theology of justification by faith intellectually, but in practice, he actually wants his forgiveness to be earned. In his life, he's actually showing as difficult as this may sound, that he believes in justification by works, not justification by faith. And that's just one example, but the point is that as Christians, we are living in this continual realignment process, one that brings everything in line to the truth of the gospel, and we should see this play out day in and day out of our lives. 
at the end of the day, the reason why Paul was so insistent and radically fighting for this issue that Peter was avoiding the Jews, he wasn't just wanting two groups of people to sit happily at a table without tension. That's just, that's not the point. But it's because the gospel truth affects each of us so deeply that it should affect every area of our lives and he couldn't afford to have this beautiful truth distorted even by a little bit. It affects us more than how we get converted because when we enter the family of Jesus, it changes our entire way of living in a beautiful way. So because of this good news that we are justified by faith undeservingly, Paul ends this passage with this climatic line in verse 19 to 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The law can't save him, Paul acknowledges. So he died to the idea of using the law as a way of getting saved. And the moment he died to that idea, he also died to the idea of feeling condemned whenever he couldn't live up to all of the law, which for Paul and for you and I is all the time, especially when the letter of James says that the person who complies with all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who breaks all of God's laws. So for Paul, he goes, he goes instead of having to feel condemned every single time, I can't live up to it. I'm gonna die to that idea all, all the way because I can't be saved by the law anyway. But instead, Paul continues, because, because I have been freed and I've been justified so undeservingly by faith through Christ, I'm gonna turn my life around. I'm not gonna live by the law anymore. I'm not gonna live for the purpose of pleasing others and making them feel like I'm living a good life. I'm not even gonna live just so that I can earn salvation from God anymore. I'm just gonna live for God. I'm gonna live my life to please God in all that I do because I have been saved so extravagantly. That's the heart of Christianity. You are justified freely and because of that you willingly and you gratefully respond in many, many different areas of your life, including devoted worship, total surrender and complete obedience. You don't do these things to get something from God. You respond in this way because you're so thankful that Jesus, through Jesus, you've been justified freely. So at the beginning of this message, I was sharing how Paul shows us how we can live our lives purely for God and God alone. And I believe verse 19 and 20 is the key here. You see, if we wanna live genuine lives for God, we're, we're not hypocritical to our intellectual beliefs. We have to address this issue of fear of people. And the only way to address this issue is not necessarily to reduce that fear or to try and find a way to eliminate it altogether because we are still selfish people who are still in the works of becoming more and more sanctified. So there will always be a part of us that's selfish, a part of us that wants to be liked, accepted, and validated by the people around us. But the solution, perhaps, is to realize that we have already been justified. We don't need to do anything else and that Christ has purchased us. Christ now lives in us and your life is now about being driven by Christ in order to please God. And as you allow and open up your life to be more and more driven by Christ, you will find that your desire to please God will outgrow your fear of people. 
Paul's heart is captured here in the rest of verse 20. He says this, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, and his motivation in the second half is because he's justified by faith, because we serve a God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question for all of us today is this, what are you driven by currently? What are you driven by? Are you driven by a fear of people? Are you driven by a desire to live a life for yourself? Or are you driven by Christ? So I invite the worship team up as I close with the final story, but about two months ago, um, God started this journey of challenging and convicting me personally uh, of where I found my satisfaction and contentment in Christ. I claim to be this Christian, at least intellectually, that I find my contentment in Christ and Christ alone, and I really thought I believed that. But as God convicted me and I started to reflect back to the first seven months of the year, I found that so much of my headspace and my thoughts and my desires were consumed um, by gadgets and new products. <laughs> it sounds stupid just saying it, but I'll even read the list for you. Computer keyboards, mouses, TVs, branded ergonomic chairs, soundbars, sports equipment, you just, you just name it. Name something interesting and I would have wanted it. <laughs> um, most of these things I never actually ended up buying but I was just so excited at the thought of owning them that I would tell my friends all about how amazing they are and how much I want these products. And I'm not trying to say I'm some super influential guy because I don't think I was the only contributing factor, but I did start to notice that the people around me who previously didn't take much interest in these things started to take interest in them. And some of them bought these things for themselves. At the time, I was so excited with them. I would celebrate with them and tell them it was a great purchase. Um, but as God was revealing this part into my life, I realized that I may have actually led some of these people astray from helping them find their contentment in Christ. It didn't just affect me, it started to affect the people around me as well. So with God's help, thankfully with God's help, I repented and I, I'm turning away from it as we speak. And part of that involved very small practical action steps that may sound stupid for some of you here, uh, but for those of you who know me, it's actually a pretty big deal deleting Gumtree off my phone, unsubscribing to YouTube channels that review tech, gadgets, sports equipment, um, selling off fancy stuff I've bought along the way, not because I don't need them anymore, because I still want them, um, but just because I don't really need them. And because I'm still very much in this journey as we speak, just last week, God actually prompted another thought into my head, and God was prompting me say, to say, Arthur, this phrase, I want, I want you to remove that away from your vocabulary altogether where practically possible. And I noticed that ever since that, ever since that thought, this week, the amount of times I've been thinking, I want in like every waking moment, I want to do this, I'm hungry, so I want to eat. I saw this ad, I want to buy this product. And God was showing me every single time you say I want, replace that phrase with God, what do you want? so that my life can start to resemble some resemblance of a life that's driven by Christ so that it pleases God. And as I was preparing for this passage, I was so excited the moment I saw this verse because Galatians 2.20 essentially captures the heart behind so many of my prayers the last two months. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that verse is so life-giving to me personally, that I'm excited to be able to share with you guys right now that the Word of God brings life 
and it does bring transformation. So for many of us sitting here, if you were to take the time to just read this for yourself and to allow the Word of God to speak life into you, you might actually find that some of you guys here are just like Peter. We actually know what the right response is. We already know how we should live as Christians. Many of us have been Christians for far too long to say we don't know these things. But perhaps the lack and the issue is not a lack in knowledge, not a lack in theology, but a lack in a desire to wanna live our lives to please God and God alone. It's a lack of worship. Not worship just in terms of singing songs, but the way we live our lives, our entire lives for God in every waking moment. The way we worship God and perhaps there's a lack in that. And as much as we think we know intellectually what following Jesus means, a lack in that shows that perhaps a part of our lives is still driven by fear, still driven by others, still driven by ourselves. And if that's you, Galatians 2.20 is a beautiful verse that I encourage you to pray back to God in your own time as well. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So before we head into a time of response and ministry, let me just quickly pray for all of us here. Father God, I pray that you allow the word to speak life, that Holy Spirit, you'll be here in this place right now to convict people so that they can live lives for you. And God, if there are areas in people's lives that are hindering their sole desire and pursuit of you, whether that be fear of people, a desire of self, other factors, comfort, security, stability, God, I pray that you'll break those chains in Jesus' name. Help people to experience the freedom and joy of following you and living a life that's driven by Christ. Amen. So church, can I ask you all to stand? As we head into a time of response, there's only one group of people that I actually really just wanna call up today. That's for those of you who, as you're hearing this message, you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your heart to say, I desire to live a life that's genuinely, genuinely driven by Christ. Perhaps you don't consider yourself a Christian at this moment and you're saying that if I've been justified of my sins and wrongdoings entirely and freely, I wanna start living this life for God. Perhaps for some of you here, you've been Christians for quite some time and maybe it's been years and maybe you've been Christians for tens of years. But right now, the Holy Spirit is planting thoughts in your heart to show you there are areas where you are driven by Christ and surrendered, but there are also areas where you are not. And He's highlighting those areas in you right now. If that's you and you wanna come up and respond and say, God, moving forward, I want my life entirely driven by you, driven by Christ. And you wanna come forward and to be prayed for by fellow friends, brothers and sisters, so we can partner with you and pray Paul's words back to you. It is now Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live for God. And if that's you and you wanna proclaim your desire to want to grow in that desire to be driven by Christ, as we sing this song, I just ask that you come to the front and then respond. <laughs>